0: Thank you all. Good morning. Tell you what, March ends up being like this the whole month. I'm not going to complain, are you? Isn't it great out there? You know, I thought this morning we were going to have, when you looked at the forecast Thursday, it's like torrential downpours all weekend. Uh, And then I always kind of pray that, Lord, if it be possible, could we just have nice weather to come and gather to worship you and look what the Lord provides for us. Isn't that nice of him to do that? I mean, we could uh, I know it's harder to stay awake when it's raining too while I'm preaching, isn't it? All right. Thanks for not answering. I like your silence. It's good. Alright, here we go. I invite you if you have your Bibles to turn with me to Luke chapter 4 this morning. Luke chapter 4. And in this passage thank you. Is that room? Thank you. Room temperature. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. In this passage today we are going to see Jesus revealing himself, the whole title's not on here. Jesus reveals himself with power, okay? Jesus reveals himself with power. Is anyone in here a Beatles fan? Anybody listen to the Beatles? No? No Beatles fans in here at all? Or nobody will claim it in church anyway, right? Uh, So Paul McCarthy, Paul McCartney is the lead singer for the Beatles. If you're not familiar with him. And he tells this story, the height of Beatlemania. People said crazy things about the Beatles, like they'll be more popular than Jesus. We'll see in 100 years, right? Who's more popular in 100 years, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure I can answer who's going to be more popular then. This was back in the uh, 60s, I guess, and he tells this story of when they were becoming popular, people would just come to his apartment in London. They would just knock on the door, and he would answer the door. I know it sounds very foreign to our culture today, but that's the way it was. He said people just didn't think about you know, different issues that could be back then. And he said, one day a gentleman knocked on his door and he had a long beard and kind of scruffy looking and he said, I'm Jesus. And Paul McCartney says, he didn't know what to do. He was pretty sure that it wasn't Jesus, but he also didn't want to be the person to turn Jesus away. So he invited him in to have a cup of tea. <laughs> and uh, they were sipping on tea and the studio called and they were late for a recording session. So he had to zip over there and he said, listen, I've got a." Get over here and record this next album. Uh, would you like to come with me? And the man said, Well, yes, I would. So he took him with him to the rec- recording studio. And he got there and he told the guys, He said, Listen, this guy showed up at my apartment. He told me he's Jesus. I, I don't think he is, but uh, is, can he just sit in here here? Well, is that okay? so said, Well, as long as he sits in the corner and doesn't say anything, we'll be fine. So the guy sat in the corner while they recorded an album there, their, their latest album, just didn't say anything. And when they were done, he said, thank you. And he left and just went on his way. Never came back or anything like that. And, you know, Paul McCartney said, I, I wasn't sure if this really was Jesus or not. But I didn't want to be the one to turn him away. So I can say with confidence, I don't think that was Jesus. Because we're going to see in the text today in Luke chapter 4, at least four indicators. whether uh, That Jesus making himself clearly known that he is who he says he is. Most likely, that was somebody with schizophrenia off the street. Uh, <clears throat> what this is actually a, a common thing with schizophrenics. They will try to convince people that they are Jesus. I have a personal treatment plan. I'd like to try with that. I'd like to round them all up and put them in a room together and let them all try to convince one another that they're Jesus and see how that works out. Like if they would, act, like if anybody could actually win that battle as they do that. But I'm not sure that that's been approved by the FDA or whoever. So, anyway. Uh, I'll put that in my memoirs one day when they, when they read that. All right, let's, let's look at the Word of God together this morning. Oh, by the way, um, we're going to see Jesus do a miracle and heal somebody. I have not been miraculously healed from my vision issues where I read. Uh, it's just that I've lost two pairs of glasses, and then I murdered and crushed my third pair of glasses, so I have no glasses currently. Like, I didn't halfway do it on my last pair. They're in five pieces, so I I did it all the way. So, you know, don't do anything halfway. If you're going to break something, go ahead and break it beyond repair. So that's what I did. And uh, I'm waiting on the eye doctor appointment, so anyway. So if I miss up a word here while I'm reading, you understand, just stay with me. Uh, here's hear the word of God, church. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he, ha- he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simeon's house. Now Simeon's mother-in-law was ill and had a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of, of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea, And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And I pray he writes this truth on our hearts today. If you're paying attention in Luke chapter 4, if you'll remember last week, I know you've slept since then, but stay with me here. Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth and he proclaimed. They brought him the scroll from Isaiah 61. He read the scroll and then he proclaimed to him. He said, this passage has been fulfilled today. And it must have been electric, the response. Because Jesus is here saying, right, when he read those pronouns, that he was the rescuer that they had been waiting for. He was the smart Messiah. And the response of the people in Nazareth was, him, that's Joseph's boy, right? They would not proclaim who he was. They would not affirm who he was. They would not declare out loud who he was. He, they wouldn't acknowledge who he was. In fact, it had the opposite effect. It made them so angry that they were ready to throw him off a cliff. One of the things that I love about our church family is that at this church, at Grace Baptist Church, there was a love for the Word of God. When we were considering coming here, I told Becky, I said, the people at Grace seem to love the Word of God, and they seem to love fellowship. And that's always two things that can be built apart on and you're listening to me say that. And you're saying, but pastor, don't all churches love the word of God? No, they don't. Listen, I have preached in churches before. i preached Psalm 1. This is a true story. Preached in a church, Psalm 1. There was a man waiting on me at the back of the church when I was finished. His big vein right here was popping out of his forehead. And he was about three shades of red. And he said, I can't believe you said what you said from the pulpit. And I was really confused. I said, what part? And he read to me Psalm 1. When I just read Psalm 1, he, he could not accept what the Word of God said, much less listen to preaching on that passage. In a similar fashion here, we're going to see Jesus here preaching and teaching in the synagogues. He leaves Nazareth, and he's going to Calpurnium. Now, this is the place where Simon, they said Simon here, this is Simon Peter's town, okay? He's gone to another place to be received and, and to hear the Word of God. Four things I want you to see this morning, right? I want you to understand four things from this text today, right? First thing I want us to see here, Luke is drawing your attention here. First thing he's drawing to your attention here is that Jesus teaches with authority. Look at verses 31 and 32 for just a minute. Luke wants to draw us here, Jesus teaches with authority. What do I mean by that? I mean by that Jesus' manner... Jesus's uh, content differs from that of the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. That in what way did it dis, did it was it different? It was different in the following way. In the synagogues of the day, the, the speaker, the rabbi would stand up or well would stand to read the word. everybody stood to read the word. Then he would sit down to explain it. but the way he would explain it was almost as confusing as as when the actual word was read, I would actually argue at sometimes that people were more confused when they left than when they came, because he would sit down and he would say, now this rabbi believes this about the text. And this rabbi has said this about the text. And this council of rabbis has said this about the text. You know, I've often thought, uh, Paul Harvey was a guy I used to listen to on my lunch breaks when I worked construction. And I remember once he had a piece that he did called, If I Were Satan, Here's How I Would Destroy America. And he went through and talked about it. Well, it made me think, if I was Satan, how would I destroy the church? You know what I would do? I'll tell you what I would do if I was Satan and I was trying to destroy the church. I would send as many young people to seminary as I could. And I would, I would go to seminary myself and get the degrees that were needed. But I wouldn't go to a solid conservative evangelical seminary. I would go to a very liberal one. I would go to one and come out and proclaim to people and wear, you know, different types of, of, you know, dressing that that showed me that I was a minister. And I would tell people I was a theologian. And I would stand up in front of people and I would proclaim, "Well, this person says this interpretation. That person says that interpretation," and confuse the daylights out of people. Listen to me. That's how Satan works, right? He he is he is designed to muddy the waters of the Word of God. When Jesus teaches here, the content of his message is clear. Jesus always has a clarity to his message. The will of God is clear to their people in the text, right? It's not this witchy-washy-guessing thing and confusing you with this and that. Um There are, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, you may be aware just from where you live. There are different styles of preaching. Did you know this? Different styles of preaching. There are what I call skyscraper sermons. Do you know what a skyscraper sermon is? That's story after story after story after story after story. Little to nothing to do with the text, right? And then that's just how they do it. That concept of preaching came out of the 1970s. I don't know if you know this or not. There were some kind of neo-Orthodox guys who wrote about it. And they said, we need to preach like Jesus. And Jesus told stories, so we need to tell stories. Not so fast, my friend, right? You better pump the brakes on that. Because let's think about this for a minute. Now, when I was in the youth group, there was a popular uh, bracelet, WWJD. Do you all remember those? What would Jesus do? That was poor as well, right? Because think about this for a second. How many of you can walk on the water of Watauga Lake? Raise your hand. How many of you can heal the blind with your spit? How many of you can tell somebody that you're going to die and then get up out of the grave three days later? Can any of you do that? Well, if you can't do that, you can't really ask, what would Jesus do, because you can't do what Jesus does. Now, you can ask the question, what would Jesus have me do? But you can't do what Jesus does, right? I guess Satan didn't like that one, right? In a similar fashion, here, what makes Jesus' preaching different? There is no preacher before him who's like him. There will be no preacher like him afterwards. Okay? Jesus generates parables from himself. He is able to communicate truth from himself because he is an authority unto himself. Preachers don't generate parables on their own, right? I can't do that. I'm not an ultimate authority, right? I'm Travis Tyler. I must preach to you what has been handed down. I can't mirror it. Now, can I share with you stories occasionally? Sure I can, and I often do, if they serve the purpose of the text, right? So it's better for us. It's better for the church. Not that we go story after story after story after story because pastors aren't Jesus, right? It is better that pastors feed you steadily the diet of the Word of God, right? Do you see that distinction difference? That's important. Because there's an authority here, right, in content and light. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine the, to hear that and then how do they respond? You know, there's just two responses here. You either relish in this truth and you believe it and you're spurred on to joy and trust and faithfulness. Or you have the response that uh, that a uh, uh, atheist philosophy teacher at a conference went to where... Al Mohler and some of the likes were speaking him and his wife were sitting on the front row and they were being interviewed by some students that were there helping with the conference and the wife was a faithful Christian, been to the church 15 years and she said she was just relishing and how Dr. Mohler and others brought the truth of the scripture to life and how it spurred her on to continue in worship and her husband who was an atheist and taught philosophy at the university there said I just find this all hard to believe <laughs> that's the two reactions that you have He said, it's all just seems far-fetched to me. That's that's the response. When Jesus preaches and teaches, you will either relish in that truth and trust him more, or you will be like that atheist professor and say, I just, it's far-fetched for me. I can't do that, right? Second thing we see here, he teaches with an authority. Second thing, Jesus cast out demons with authority, verses 33 through 37. Here comes the irony that we're seeing in Luke chapter 4. Uh. Long before Alanis Morissette made a song about it. The Bible had ironies all in it. And this is the great irony, right? Look here. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. Now, Hollywood and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon would have you falsely believe that churches are sacred, hollowed ground. That cemeteries are sacred, hollowed ground. And demons can never come in there and get you if you'll just run inside of a church building. Look what this passage tells us. Whoever this person is waltzes right into the middle of the synagogue where all of God's people are gathered. Demons can go into church buildings. You know what church buildings are? Exactly what I said. They're buildings. The only thing that's sacred in a building is two things. One, the word of God is sacred. And two, the people that God has saved in that building are sacred. Everything else, not so sacred. Right? Right? Demons can waltz right in and come in. This is the great parlor trick that Satan does. He has you looking at the dead while he does confusion and sees discontent among the living. That's what Satan does. It's a strategy that he has. And look what it says here. Does this demon speak with a whisper? What's it say in this text? A loud voice. What's he say? Look at verse 34. Ha! Ha! What have you to do with me, with us? You only know, the plural. That's interesting that it's a plural. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Look what he says here. Look at this next question. Have you come to what destroy us? And then look what he says. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It is ironic to me because the people that Jesus came to save in these synagogues are just angered by his message they won't repeat his message they want to kill him and yet a demon what is a demon? it's a fallen angel their fundamental purpose and function their root level programming is this to hate God to hate everything of God to hate God's people to try and cause as much destruction and damage to God's image bearers that's what demons do that's their primary role This demon proclaims loudly and with clarity who Jesus really is. Don't you think that's a little ironic? (laughs) The people that Jesus was sent to save won't say it out loud. But a demon doesn't just whisper it, doesn't just lean over to the person next to them, doesn't walk up and say it in Jesus' ear, but apparently says it loud enough where pretty much everybody that's assembled on that Sunday morning or Saturday morning can hear this acknowledgement. If only Christians were as bold as this demon in Luke chapter 4 to proclaim who Christ is wherever we are. Huh. Never thought you would hear a pastor tell you to immolate something a demon did once, right? And yet here it is in the text look at 35 but Jesus rebukes him here's my question though A couple things about demons one the place in scripture we see the most demonic possession is without a doubt during the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth they seem to just come out in droves throughout the gospel we see them some in Kings and in Samuel, demonic activity and oppression and possibly possession. It's a little vaguer and unclear in the Old Testament, but it's very clear in the Gospels. But then the question becomes, how are you supposed to handle a demon, right? How does Jesus handle this demon? Does, Je- does Jesus grab holy water and throw holy water on him? Does Jesus make, take a, you know, this is silliness, but I'm just telling you what I've heard people say to me over the years. Does Jesus go to the grocery store or the market and get five pounds of salt and make a circle with salt on the ground to protect himself from a demon like they do on shows like Supernatural? Does Jesus get a, a smoking thing like the Eastern Orthodox and swing that around, hope some of the smoke wafts into the demon's face and he wafts away? Do those things work against a demon? No, there's one thing that works against a demon in this text, and what is it? The Word of God. The word of God's the only thing that's effective against a demon, right? I, I don't know if you've ever encountered one. In all my time in ministry, I don't think I've ever been a part of a demon possession. There's been a couple of instances that I've wondered, and I've not got time, or and that's not the point of the text today, but if we ever feel there is demon suppression or possession, the best thing that we can do is to quote the authoritative holy and errant word of god to them that's what we do right and that's what jesus does isn't it be silent come out of him jesus just speaks to him the words off of the lips of jesus is what does it and when the demon had done that threw him down in the midst came out of him having done him no harm verse 36 they were amazed all amazed and they said to one another what is this word for with this authority and power he commands Unclean spirits. What does that mean? Was the man dirty and muddied and just kind of muck and mire all over him? Or is he uh, dirty in his soul and his morals? Is it both? It's not clear. Could be both. But either way, this man's delivered. And how does he do it? He does it with the authority of the Word. What we're seeing here is Jesus has authority... Over the demonic world. He is sovereign and commands demons. He can tell them to stop and go away, and they stop and they go away. It's amazing. It's a picture of how much power and authority Jesus has. Moving on. Not only does Jesus cast out demons with authority, Jesus heals the body with authority. Look at this. Jesus here in verses 38 through 41, Luke draws our attention here to Jesus' healing with authority. He, met His manifestation of healing here, he arises and he goes to Simeon's house. Now, this is Simon Peter. This is his mother-in-law now. Pastor, why isn't there much said about his wife? I don't know. I didn't write the Bible. Right? I'm just the messenger that delivers it. Apparently, Peter was married and his mother-in-law was ill. Now, notice here there's something distinct about Luke that he highlights in this illness. Remember, Luke is a medical doctor. He is a medical doctor of the ancient world. He says here in the text, she is ill with a high fever, right? During the season of COVID, there were two reasons you went to the hospital if you had COVID, because they were trying to keep it from being packed out with people. Reason number one, your oxygen level dropped below 90% with saturation, so you had to watch that little thing on your finger. And reason number two, if your fever got very high and would not come back down. You had to be taken to the emergency room immediately. Luke is noting here that whatever kind of illness this is that Simon Peter's mother has, it is life-threatening, and without some kind of intervening here, she will die. Right? There's a there's a good percentage chance she will die, and the physician Luke here is highlighting this and and letting sure, making sure we know this. Now, as you all know. Becky doesn't like germs, I don't like germs She's helped me in that area some And I've helped her be a little bit more muddy And things like that along the way in our marriage too But, so it's a good balance for us There's a lot of pressure when I get sick And I frequently do, I think, because I'm around sick people In hospitals and things like that In a normal situation I'm encouraged to go see a medical doctor And so I've seen more medical doctors Than I would care to have seen, right? Medical doctors and lawyers are two people we don't want to see Until we have to see them, right? And I'll tell you, this has never happened to me I've never gone to see a medical physician, a medical professional who has uh, you know, pledged their life to do no harm and, and they have stood over me and commanded a fever to leave. That's never happened one time. I've had antibiotics prescribed to me, I've had fever reducers prescribed to me, but no medical doctor has ever stood over me and commanded a fever to stop and it stopped. There's only one person who has authority like that to command a sickness to leave a body And according to this passage, it immediately leaves, and that would be Jesus Christ. Only the king who designed human bodies could say to a fever and a sickness like this, get out, and it gets out. Now, while we're on this, and while we're talking about healing ministries, I want to make a quick observation. Do I believe that some people have the gift to physically heal today? The Bible seems to make mention of that in the New Testament. I think that's possible. Personally, I have never seen it happen. I have never witnessed somebody as a faith healer heal somebody. Maybe you have, I don't know. But I want to tell you something. I am skeptical, highly skeptical of anybody who's selling out tickets in in Houston, Texas and people lining up for healings and paying top dollar to get in to do a healing ministry. I personally think if somebody has the gift of healing that they're going to demonstrate that in a humble way Probably just going hospital room to hospital room somewhere in the Sudan in some backwater hospital nobody's even heard of healing people quietly and in humility so that God gets all the glory and it's not a big spe- spectacular show. You see what I'm saying? Uh, that's just my opinion and how I've seen the gifts of God operate and work. So I'm open but I'm cautious when people tell me that. Uh, years ago, there was a guy named Donald McGavern who started the church growth movement And the guy that took over after him, I meant to look it up between services, but I forgot his name. He claimed that he could heal people if one of your legs was shorter than the other one. Because that's a problem here in East Tennessee from walking around the mountains, right? Eventually, you wear one leg out, and the other one's longer because you're always on a hill, right? We got the cows with the same problem, too. Two of the legs are shorter than the other two, right? (laughs) I never believed him, you know? I just never saw... You know, he, he claimed he could do it and said he could do it, but I... Never met anyone that said that they were healed from him by that. So I, I'm, I'm open but cautious and with a hint of skepticism that I think is healthy here in this text. So, all right. Um, we see here also that she is healed because what's her reaction in this text? When the, when the fever breaks here, you move on in a couple of verses here, she immediately gets up and starts serving the people in her home she understands and has given herself over to hospitality. Did you know in the Bible, hospitality is not recommended, it's actually commanded? I'm a little afraid of how the church is going to react to hospitality coming out of this season of COVID because we've all been told, stay home, don't socialize. We've been told that over and over again. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us to open your homes to one another, to let one another come in, You know, share meals with one another. Uh, the Bible instructs us that we're to be hospitable. And some of you say, well, you don't understand. I, my paint job in my hallway, I'm not a real big fan of, and I, I don't keep it as clean as I think it should be, and I don't want other people to judge me for that. Let me give you some great words from my one of my favorite theologians, my Mamaw Sue, okay? Here's what Mama Sue said. Mamma Sue said, if you want to come see me, come anytime. But if you want to see my house, you've got to make an appointment, right? Hospitality is not about... Showing off your home. If I come to see you, I'm not bringing white gloves. I'm coming to see you, right? I'm not interested in your house anyway. You're the only part that's interesting in the house anyhow, right? All right, with that in mind, let's move on. You know, uh, we, we look at this passage here, and it's amazing to me how many people, there's a testimony here to how blind we as church people can be to the truth that's right in front of them, right? One of the things that's great about this church is it's been preaching the gospel faithfully here for 60-some years. Some of you here probably grew up in this church. You've sat in vacation Bible schools. You've sat in revival meetings. You've sat under various preachers who've been faithful to the text and to the Word. But wouldn't it be a tragedy and a shame, though, if you had knowledge each year from the faithful preaching, teaching ministry of of this church? Generations of it now. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if you had this knowledge and it did not lead you to trust Jesus greater, to have greater faith in Him, or to love Him and be spurred on to service in that knowledge of Scripture? Friend, listen. If we are not pushed by knowing the Word of God, by knowing the Scriptures like this, if we're not pushed to believe Him, to trust Him, to treasure Christ, To follow him. Hear my warning today to you. If you're letting that knowledge just rattle around in your head between your ears. That knowledge will puff you up. And in the last, it will eventually condemn you. You will stand with James in James chapter 2 where he says and whispers in your ear this morning. Do you believe in God? You do well. So also do the demons and they tremble. Don't tremble this morning. Trust Christ. Don't fear Him as some, you know, subservient uh, fears their master in, in every facet there, but have faith in Him. Believe on Christ as He's offered in the gospel. Acknowledge Him to be your Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and your personal Savior. Luke here is showing us the teaching with authority dealing with demons and authority and the Word, healing and authority. And one final thing that he wants to show us in 42 and 44. Last thing here, and we're done. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark is drawing us to the the attention of the fact that Jesus is pulling away to pray, okay? Uh, And, you know, we see John, Mark, and Paul get into some kind of scuff at some point. Paul tells him to bring Mark with him there at the end of 2 Timothy, bring them the cloak, his books, and his parchments. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in Paul's last days in his cell before he was executed. Luke draws attention, though, to something else. Mark draws our attention to the fact that he goes to a desolate place to pray. Luke, in this passage, is drawing your attention to the fact that Jesus is withdrawing to a desolate place for what? To prepare to preach. He tells us that in this way Jesus responds to the crowd I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to others in towns as well you know I I've got preacher friends they tell me they like to go to the coffee shops and prepare and study there I don't know how they do it I'm just trying to be like Jesus you got when I'm when I'm in sermon prep mode leave me alone I need quiet and I need to be left alone <laughs> right I'm too much like, did y'all ever see that movie Up? You know, did you ever see it? That great? Okay, you know the dog and Up, where every time he's like looking around, squirrel, you know, he'll just be at random, like that would be, that's me at a coffee shop. Somebody dropped a plate. Somebody said a word. Somebody, you know, I mean, it just, I would never be able to focus. I got, I got to eliminate as many distractions as possible. In a similar fashion here, though, but that's not the main point here. The main point is what? Not so much that he pulls away here. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was sent for the purpose to preach in the the synagogues of Judea. Now, this is the theme here that's emerging. It's about the kingdom of God. Uh, And I I would love to spend another hour with you just unpacking this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do this in about two minutes, okay? So bear with me. Verse 20 there, he talks about this. Where do we see this highlighted, this issue of the kingdom of God, Luke dealing with that, driving this theme home with us? Well, we see it in 6, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, or not 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, 22, and 23. Over and over again, Jesus will be preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. It will be stated and structured that way. What's that all about? Well, we remember, remember, beloved, that David had been promised To have a king on the throne. Then he would never fail to have a king on the throne of Israel. How long has it been from when Jesus is preaching here since somebody from the line of David was on the throne of Israel? You know how long it's been? 600 years. It's been 600 years since someone from the line of David sat on the throne. And here's what Jesus is saying here in these closing thoughts. He is saying, the king is here God's kingdom has come. The kingdom is among you. We'll learn what the good news of the king who has come, what it is. Luke is going to continue to unfold that for us as we walk through this gospel together. But for now, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word here today. God, as we move through this passage, we are compelled to be... In many ways, like the demon who proclaims loudly who you are, Lord, knowing this, that the truth we have heard today, the truth that we don't need to just be puffed up and condemned with the knowledge we have, but rather spurred to trust and to treasure you, God. Lord, may we not just tremble at the thought of the knowledge of you. May we trust you today. God, we stand here longing for that. Help us to treasure you more greatly in our hearts as we sing this song of response to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing in response to the gospel preached today. You've heard it preached today. And we stand not unlike the demon here in this chapter. The truth that you have heard will have one of two things in your life. It will either destroy you finally, or it will be the good news that will set you free forever. The question is, how will you respond today? Will you be set free or will you be crushed? I'll be in the back to receive you as we sing.